grew up between South Central Los Angeles and a suburb called Walnut, California. So every uh, summer I, I moved back to my grandmother's house in the hood, and then during the school year I stayed with my mom in a nice suburban neighborhood. And what, what were you doing? Like, what was your upbringing like? Um, soccer, skateboarding, soccer, skateboarding, and rap, and clothes. That was pretty much it. No brothers, no sisters. Just me by myself. And uh, fell in love with rap at an early age. I had some DJs that lived downstairs for me. So they would leave open their uh, garage and shit when I would go and uh, dig through their vinyl. They were like hip-hop heads. So there was a lot of underground shit like Showbiz, AG, Big L. Digging in the crates type shit. And then I had like Crondon, who I met later on in life. It was a good homie of mine. But at the time, Barbershop MCs from the West Coast was Phil the Ag. Self-Scientific with Chase, who manages Rocky. DJ Khalil. You know, good hip-hop shit. So I was like digging through them and then <clears throat> making my own cassette tapes too. Um, my mom was a big fan of rap as well. So she let me listen to like Snoop and shit like that. Um and uh, listening to Julio G on 92.3 The Beat he would play a lot of new shit and I would like Friday Night Flavors and The Wake Up Show too so like during that whole era is when I really fell in love with rap shout out to that that's South Central right there you hear it that's LA tell me about like LA radio um it was actually dope as fuck I look like one of the homies it was actually dope as fuck um uh, we had uh, the Baker Boys in the morning. You know, I don't know what they're doing now. I'm sure they're around, but the Baker Boys they used to do this shit where they used to have niggas rap on a um, and battle and shit in the morning time and do a freestyle. Shit was dope. And then um, we had uh, Julio G, uh, who did Ruthless Radio with Easy E. Um, he always would play a lot of dope shit. He played Slum. He put me on a lot of shit like Slum Village. He he was always like he had a well-rounded ear. So I was listening to him, and then uh, Friday Night Flavors, which is what Mr. Chalk and all those guys, they would play a lot of like L.A. underground shit and underground shit from everywhere else. But mostly like shit you would find at Fat Beats Records, you know what I'm saying, which was like a staple in L.A. And then you had the Wake Up Show, where niggas were rapping freestyle live, and uh, that's when I heard Eminem for the first time. Uh, you know, a lot of underground kids like Thurston Howe the Third and fucking uh, Words Wordsmith and Punchline and that's before like the Lyricist Lounge show. There was like ruckus era, like raucous era hip hop, all that kind of shit. So it was a dope time to be into uh, music. You know, sound bombing and the Talib Kweli, Most Dev, Black Star, Common, and then you had uh, you know all that kind of era shit. Shit was dope though. It was hella dope. You think that that early on kind of influenced you into what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, I would say um, between that, like that era was dope because you like that's when you like, oh, this is like the underground rap shit. And it, it was like I had a certain kind of vibe. But at the same time, I'm listening to that. I'm listening to all the street shit. So I, I like to listen to everything. I used to just find niggas that was dope. Like, you know, the firm. I listened to the Nas album. My favorite Nas album is It Was Written. A lot of people don't like that opinion, but, you know, some people do, you know. It was really my favorite now, so I'm listening to that shit. Jay-Z's definitely my favorite rapper. Definitely at that time, for sure. No hands down. 
So I'm reasonable doubt. Train me out when that nigga got in the helicopter and all that. That shit blew my mind. I'm fucking taping the shit on my on a cassette tape on Rap City. So I'm making my own cassette tapes, uh, freestyle big tickets, all them good days. So I'm watching that. Oh, actually, fuck that. Let's go back further. Jo, uh, Joe Claire and Big Les, nigga. Yeah, a lot of you young niggas don't know nothing about that. Y'all just know Big Tigger in the basement. Nah, it was Big Les and, and Joe Claire. So I was on that kind of wave. I was watching them. I was I was taping everything. And then, oh, you know what really fucked me up, too? You know, really put me on hip-hop a lot. When I used to stay with my grandma in the summertime, her cable was different than the cable I had back at the crib. So she had the box. I don't know if you niggas know what the box is, but you was able to... It was all the underground videos and videos, and you would pay money to watch them. So that's how I discovered Biggie uh, uh, Juicy was on the box. It was on the box before. I would go uh, damn near say it was on the box before I even hit BET or MCV. It damn near started there. I'm almost positive. That's where I learned about Bone Thugs and motherfucking Harmony. That blew my mind. Thug is Ruggish Bone. That was it. You can't tell me nothing. I bought all that shit. So, yeah, the vibe between the box and all this shit, I'm just taking it in hip-hop every kind of way. I'm a hip-hop junkie. I don't give a fuck on nothing. Just rap. Everything rap. Rap, rap, rap. And I would go shop at this spot called New York Looks in the Fox Hills Mall. He was a Jamaican nigga from New York, and he's the only nigga that had, in, like, Inichi First, Academics, Iceberg, Kooji. He's the only nigga that had it. Before Men's Land, nah, nigga. All that Men's Land shit, niggas, nah. It was before all that. It was a Jamaican nigga from New York. New York looks ghost. He had pictures. Ghostface would go through there. Wu Tang would go through there. Dips. Every if you was a rapper from New York, that's where you would go shop. So I'm going and buying Cybertech. I'm buying all that shit. I'm just living the culture. And yeah, all of them early days shaped my shaped me for what you know I'm into now for sure, hundred percent. BT was a motherfucking member of Teen Spirit, uh, Teen Summit, and all that shit, bro. BT was meant something at, at one point. It don't mean shit now, but BT meant something at one point. Around what what uh what year was like all of this like you I don't know like TK he really good with the years my business partner man I don't know everything's a blur I just remember the moments I don't remember the years to keep it real I know I um I, I I'm young bro um I'm 35 now so I'm fucking young I'm like shit I'm like 10 11 12 13 like during during them eras you know what I'm saying that's when I'm really into the shit heavy I'm touching turntables at like 11 though. And t- tell me about that. How'd you, how'd you? Always wanted, always wanted to be two things: a producer. My mom could never afford the equipment. I grew up in a suburban area, but very hella poor. We, my mom didn't want to be a gang member and shit because we grew up. My grandmother lived, and she grew up in a very heavy gang uh, area. So instead of me growing up and over there, we kind of grew up, kind of like struggling. Not like struggling, struggling all the way, but like we didn't grow up like rich. Like for the people that lived in the neighborhood. We were like under income for that, but we lived amongst people that had more than we had. My mom was a single mom, so she's working three or four jobs. She's hustling. She's doing what she has to do to keep everything together. And, you know, you know, she's working so much that a lot of times she's at work. I'm about I'm about home by myself and I'm just exploring the culture of rap. I'm buying Source, every Source magazine. I'm buying Blaze magazine. I'm buying Double XL magazine. I'm getting all that shit. I'm cutting out pictures. I'm putting them on the wall. I'm just creating the culture within my head and what I what I take a liking to. And I'm watching hella basketball, but I suck at basketball. Terrible. But I'm watching hella basketball. I'm playing soccer and I'm skateboarding every day, skating. And you 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 start your DJ career. I wouldn't say career. I'll just say that some niggas had some turntables that live below me, and I you and I and I was trying to trying to become a dj but we couldn't afford the equipment so when them niggas moved it was a wrap for my dj life because i couldn't afford two technique turntables and a fucking mixer that was a lot of money back then 
you're messing around with the turntables. Like, yeah, it's the two Filipino kids, so they had turntables, so I'm fucking around on the turntables, being a fake DJ. But it was, the most important thing was I was going through their record craze, and they had everything that was inside of Fat Beats. So I'm li- getting exposed to this underground shit that I that I would hear on Friday Night Flavors on the Wake Up Show, but now I'm actually touching the vinyl. So now I'm trying to put together blends and fake blends at 11 and 12. It's funny as fuck. Do you remember where you were blending at that time? Uh, I was really into the far side instrumentals for some reason. Uh, that's why I knew that Jay Dilla was a shit. I didn't know who Jay Dilla was at the time, but I'm listening. I'm, I'm like, the Andy's beats are tight. So I'm doing that. I like Big L a lot. Big L was so hard to me. I was like, he's a pop shit. He popped a lot of shit. And I was even, um, I think, uh, Big L. And then I was even like listening to, like I told you, like Crondon and them niggas. They were young. That was when they put out their first vinyl, The Rules, and all the VSOP and all that old shit. And I'm listening to that, and I'm listening to uh, uh, like Smith and Wesson and the Coco Brothers and all and Buckshot and them niggas. I was listening to that. I he had everything, so I was just blending shit. But Big L was definitely one of my favorite rappers. And then he had like he didn't like he thought the the DJ, not me, but the DJ thought like Jay Z was too jiggy and shit. But uh, I was playing Jay Z on my um on my uh, uh VHS cassette when I was taping Rap City. I was playing that Jay-Z shit back to back. At that time, were you making beats or anything? Hell no. I always wanted to make beats. That was always the problem. I could never afford the shit. My mom, well, like I said, we grew up in a suburban area, but we grew up poor. So, like, my mom didn't have $3,000 to go spend on the fucking NPC. And I didn't know no niggas that had none. So, it was just a dream that, you know, that I wanted. But it didn't. it never came to fruition. So then, all right. So then they move. So then, what, what are you doing? So now, so now they they up out of there, and I'm just I'm just making tapes. Now I'm making tapes. Like I'm getting my favorite songs, and I'm just putting together tapes. And then um, now I'm 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 in middle school. I'm um, I'm I'm fucking a player in middle school. So I had a lot of bitches in middle school, and I'm, I'm dating three, four, five, six bitches at one time. So now I'm on like my dick is getting hard, and I'm grabbing ass and titties and shit, and I'm listening to rap. You know what I'm saying? I'm listening to rap. I'm doing this. I'm fresh as fuck because I had a job. My mom said she's not buying me no more clothes, so I had a job. I think the first pair of shoes I bought on my own were the Iversons, the white and blue ones with the tip. I thought I was the shit. You couldn't tell me nothing. I had the white and blue Iversons. I had a first down bubble coat, and I'm going to school, and I'm fucking with bitches, and I had money in my pocket because I worked a job. I, I was a, a box boy at a liquor store at like 12 years old under the table, made like 200 a week. And that was cool. My mom actually hooked that job up, too. She told me she wasn't buying me shit, and she got me a job at the same time. So it was always it was an inside play the whole time. She finessed me. But it's fine. It was great because I have my own money, and that's what it's about. So at this time, like, you got your own money. Mm-hmm. What's your music? Um, Let's see. This is, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, that's like 12. This is like 95, 96. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Jay-Z, Biggie. Bone Thugs and Harmony. Uh, do you know what? I, is that one DMX? I think DMX might have eighth grade. I was in eighth grade when D, man DM fucking X, bro. Eighth grade. Oh yeah, hell yeah. I can't. Yeah, Rough Riders, Def Jam days, all all that shit they had. I didn't never like Ja Rule. Never, not once. So not everybody but Ja Rule over there. I was bang Red Man, Method Man, all that shit. Red Man, huge Ghostface. Raekwon, all that. Wu-Tang's trying my brain out. All that shit. Uh, Dog Pound, for sure. Dog Pound. Corrupt. All that. Yeah, rap is great. Before, 
for the most part, were you like East Coast heavy? Yeah, I liked East Coast shit a lot. I ain't gonna lie, man. I did. I always loved, I like Pac and I love what he represented. I wasn't like um, I, I loved his double album. I, I loved his music, but I didn't love it as much as I loved Biggie. Biggie was Biggie was a shit between Biggie and Jay Z. Those were my favorite artists at the time. I liked Camp Low too for some reason a lot. I just thought that was like real unique. You know, I liked everything, bro. I was just a sponge at that time. So this time eighth grade, then like then I go into high school. High school ninth grade. There's a nigga in my neighborhood that I grew up in named Prince. He was a, he was a twelfth grader, but I knew him since I was a kid, and he was a rapper. So this nigga was a battle rapper and shit, and he was rapping. He was the number one rapper at the school. In my first day of high school, I'm on the bus, and this 12th grade bitch was so fine. She's like, who is you? And I'm like, yeah, I told her my name and shit. And she's like, oh, okay. She come sit back here. So I'm over here with this 12th grade bitch, and it's my first day. I'm thinking I'm cool. I hop off the bus. I'm with the homie Prince. He's walking me through the school. Yeah, there's some suckers over there. That's where all the niggas hang out. There's some essays over there. Then the Asian gang's over there. I'm just learning the law of the, of the school and all that. And then uh, goddamn uh, the Filipino kids would always DJ during the lunch break. So at lunchtime we had live music. It was crazy. It was actually dope as fuck. And you know they was like real hip hop niggas, Tribe Called Quest, uh, De La Soul niggas, uh, Slum Village niggas, Jay Dilla fanatics. They was like that kind of music. And then they would play some other shit. And then niggas would freestyle and rap and battle. It'd be crowds of like the whole campus. So that's the first day the niggas got into a battle with this dude who I knew later on in life. He ended up working at MySpace. He was a sucker. But um, uh, Prince, the homie Prince, battled him. And um, I was like, hey, that's tight. He's like, hey, man, you should learn how to rap. I'm like, yeah, I want to rap. And then he's like, I'm going to show you how to rap. And then we was walking around the track because I had PE with the nigga. And we walk around the track. He's showing me how to rap. So now I'm writing raps all day. And then I battled the nigga. And I won. But what they didn't know was I stole the raps. That was amazing. I stole I stole Eminem's freestyle off the Wake Up Show and act like it was me. But nobody knew it because he was like some niggas in Suburbans. And I stole DMX's bars from uh, uh, the locks. uh uh, money power respect niggas thought i was dmx it was amazing and i won the rap the nigga exposed me two weeks later hey he stole the rap from dmx man fuck you i bet you right now that the time i was good then i battled with my raps and i won at what point did you start taking music well you always took it serious but when did you see it as a business shit nigga fuck no, uh when i got out of high school when i started my own crew and we started recording when I started this crew called Language Arts, and I was uh, I, I went to school. I went to the Musicians Institute um, in 2002. I went to Musicians Institute. I took this. They had a recording artist program. This is when I'm rapping now. Now I'm an artist. I'm an artist fully at this point. I'm putting out mixtapes and shit. The first niggas to put out mixtapes on the West Coast. No disrespect to the homies, but we did it before all the homies, and that's a fact. Because um, I got it from the East Coast. I got it from the East Coast because I went... During this time, my uncle lived in Harlem. I mean, he lived in he lived in New Jersey, and I'm going to Harlem. He lived in New Jersey. I'm going to Harlem. I'm Rockefeller. Now this time, I'm Rockefeller is the best thing in the world. This is the dream team. This is it. And then Cameron just got signed to Rockefeller, and the nigga had a mixtape um, called Welcome to the Rock. And I actually got my mixtape from Cameron. He was giving giving out the tapes, and I'm like, yo, this is like crazy. And I'm getting K Slay mixtapes and all that shit. And nobody out here was doing that at that particular time. I know this for a fact because I used to go to the Fat Beats all the time to go to get the tape to go um, buy records, but there was no tapes in there at the time, so. When this is like a 2000 and 2000, I think 2000, 
1999 to 2000, I put out my first mixtape. It was a crew I had before Language Arts called the Filler Squad, and we sucked, but we put out a tape, and I went into the school. We broke into all the high schools in the middle of the night. We got repressed up the CDs ourselves, tagged on a CD with a Hell on My Name is sticker, and put it in everybody's locker. I'm my mama, we did that shit. 1999, 2000, nigga. Facts. But anyway, so uh, I get out of school, and then I start a new crew called Language Arts, and it's a collective of artists. It's like eight of us. And then I t end up taking my boy, Future, who graduated maybe t two years after me, because I, I went to go into Mount Sac to take some shit. I didn't even know what I was taking. I was just there to get a financial aid check. And then I failed all the classes, and they're like, yo, you can't be here no more. So after that, I'm like, man, what the fuck am I going to do? And then my boy's like, yo, there's a musician. This school called MI, Musicians Institute. I'm going to go take music business. You niggas rap. My, my little homies make beats. My, you know, my brother makes beats. Why don't you go take a recording artist program? It'll teach you how to record in your closet. Oh, yeah. And I started recording in my fucking closet in 2002. Straight up. Before all these niggas was doing it, I was recording. We made all of our music in our closet. And we making music. So now it's a business. I guess it's a business. We didn't know it was a business. We just fucking doing shit. And then I, that's when Two Dope Boys and all them, and the Nah Right and all them niggas started coming out. And I was sending my music to them. And they was posting our shit. Yeah, the NMC, all them niggas, and then uh, shit. Uh, this is like around the era of uh, Pac Div, U and I, Don, a little bit around by Don Kennedy. This before, this is pre TDE, and um, shit. I remember when um, TDE was on the come up. We used to always battle niggas. That was our thing. We always diss niggas. Fuck these niggas. So I remember when uh, TDE had a freestyle when Kendrick and Schoolboy Q and Absol was freestyling. This one they was about to come out, and I didn't know K Dot. At the time, I just know, you know, yes, these new guys are coming out. And we just dissed them. We dissed them just because they was rapping. They was from here. I mean, they probably don't even know we dissed them. I don't know if they ever knew that, but we definitely dissed them niggas and put the mix, put it out. So, yeah. So during that time, is I'm just rapping, putting out music. And then some bullshit happened. Like, we did that shit for like three years. We ended up getting the buzz. Some bullshit happened. And then um, I said, fuck rap. And then, yeah, that's pretty much how that ended. And then from there, um, I started doing management. Maybe a year and a half later after that. Now I'm like 20. I don't know how old I am at the time. Shit, I'm good. I'm terrible with time. But I ended up managing a female rapper named Raven Sorvino. Yeah. And uh, managing her. And then, uh, shit, then I met uh, two a year and so. I don't know how long into that. I met TK. Wait, wait. But take me back to stopping. Like, what, what made you stop rap? Um, because I put my blood, sweat, and tears into an album uh, that I was with the collective I was dealing with at the time. We put all our energy into something that labels had interest in and all these people had interest in. And they ended up falling apart over something that was not related to anything that was music. That was It was really dumb at the time. And we didn't have no OGs or no guidance or nobody to, to guide us business-wise. That's a nice, pretty cool ass. And there was somebody to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this ain't cool. Then um, uh, we oh, did yeah. just end up breaking apart. Just ended up breaking apart and niggas got mad. But what nobody understood was all the work that went into it. See, we, well, I recorded every single vocal. I mixed every single vocal. I did the videos. I edited the videos. You know what I'm saying? I did a lot of work and I put a lot of all my money at the time I put into this one project. Worked on this project for a whole year to make sure the album was perfect. To get features and all the shit. And it, the niggas just like chalked it up over some bullshit. So at that time I said, fuck rap. I'm not dealing with the shit. And, we, and the whole unit kind of breaking up. Niggas went their different ways and shit. That's where that left off, you know. And then how? Why transition into management? Uh, because I, I I knew my talent was bringing out the talent of other motherfuckers. I'm good at that. I'm good at seeing shit and predicting shit, and I'm always been good at predicting trends and seeing and knowing who the next artist was. I've always been good at that shit. So I just said fuck it. 
the the person in front of the screen, you know, there's a there's a time limit on that. But the person behind the scenes, there's not a time limit as long as you're on top of your job. So I'm like, fuck it, I'll just be behind the scenes. What do you think gives you that critical eye to kind of spot that? Because that's not a lot of people have that. Um, I just think I've always been into cool shit. And remember, I was telling you when I was young, I was studying the culture so much. And I was like, even like the, the underground shows, what was taught about them is that they're playing shit before it's happening. It's not happening at the time. They're they're kind of predicting the forecast at the time, too. Some niggas uh, grew up from blew up out of the underground. A lot of people didn't, but some did. The ones that had it did. So you have to be able to decipher, well, who's going to be the nigga and who's just going to be here for some culture shit that you like. So I was always pretty good at predicting, like, I don't know if he's going to be the nigga or the culture, but I know that this nigga is tight and this shit is hard and, and nobody really knows about it. And I always would put up people on shit. I always put p- niggas up on shit. And that's why I got the game up and on one. Because I always would put niggas up on the newest shit, whether it was clothes, fashion, something. I don't know. It's just something that's in me. So how'd you find this artist, your first manners, and what was that like? Uh, I was rapping at the time, and we both had something in common. We were Ralph Lauren. Like, I was big on this polo wave. I used to call myself Polo P. So I was big on this shit. I had a song called Polo Pimpin', and I, I was um, performing the song, and she approached me. She's like, yo, that song is dope. I'm like, yeah? So like, yeah, look. And she's on all her Ralph Lauren shit, and then we ended up being cool. And it was just kind of like chopping it up. And then she, she rapped. She was cool. She was dope, and then shit, from there, um, I was like, man, I never uh, fuck with a female artist. I always was a fan of Lil' Kim, what Biggie did with Lil' Kim or Foxy Brown, and that kind of shit, but I never had nobody I worked with that was a female myself, so shit, I just started helping her out. And at this time, what's like your day-to-day role with her? Um, recording, A&Ring, A&Ring tough, uh, finding the beats, trying to lay the foundation of, of that, knowing I had powers with the blogs at the time, because we were really popular on the blogs. And knowing that I can at least get her some kind of FaceTime, that's when blogs mattered. So I can get her some FaceTime on blogs and through my connections, what I build with language arts. So just knowing all that and just making sure her shit was presented a certain kind of way. She had it. She was a star herself, but she wasn't like connected to a scene, which is one of the things that kind of like fucked us off in the long run. That I didn't really, you know, think of, I didn't really get it at that time, but I understood that later on in life. Kind of talk about the the blogger like people don't know really it was like a a couple of years that it was like strong yeah real strong man um, shout out to Mecca and Shake you know those dudes I don't know I haven't been on that side I'm sure they're still around doing their thing but there's a point where they were the tastemakers they were the niggas predicting the not predicting but they were the people that kind of like the uh, stamp shit I remember this I got a story for you we did a free uh, my boy at LMU put together a show and um, it was language arts J Cole um, this dude named Curtains, who a lot of people, some people know what's up. Curtains and Aloe Black, and you and I, and you and I was the biggest group at the time. And everybody's like, "Who's this J Cole nigga?" And he was in there freestyling. We're like, "This nigga sucks." And he was rapping. He had like one little song on Two Doughboys and shit. And literally one year to the day, he's on tour with fucking Jay Z. One year to the exact day, nobody knew. So my point is, you just don't know. And shit, that's when I knew shit can happen fast. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, like the blogs definitely predicted the uh, the temperature of music. There's a lot of uh, ill roots. Um, was a dope ass blog that I used to fuck with. And um, the if like the blogs had a culture within the blogs. So like if you rapped a certain kind of way, you would get on certain kind of shit. And if you was just a nigga, you'd be on everything. So as far as the new music cartel, we was on all that shit. Then hype. I was always I always was on hype beats as a High Beast and High Snobody. And um, there is this other shit. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. 
uh, it wasn't music related, but it was like a, a culture blog. It had Vashti, it had Pharrell, it had Heron Preston. Trying to think of that shit, man. What uh, is it, P? I don't fucking know. It had Heron Preston. It had fucking uh, uh, Hero, whatever the dude is that does all the fragment design, nigga. It had him, but it was a culture blog, and it had a. It was like it would show their day to day in life. Um, and all kind of shit. It was wavy as fuck. So I'm getting the culture from just the culture of living and 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 and, and fashion from that. And then I'm getting the culture from the blogs from that. And then shout out to Marcus. What's my nigga's name? Marcus. Uh, fuck, bro. That shit's Kennedy or something. The one up in uh, Toronto. Can- the one in Canada. Man, I don't know. But anyway, but there's there's a lot of shit going on between. That's when fashion and music starts trying to gap a little bit. It was kind of coming together. It was so early though. You had to really be on the wave, but it was all coming together. But the blogs kind of, if you wasn't on the blogs, man, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It might have been quiet for you. This is before SoundCloud. Shit. Yeah, this is before SoundCloud. And this is after LimeWire. So the blogs were definitely relevant. For sure. And how long were you managing this first artist? <laughs> Raven, I think I did for four years. Three years. Three years? Yeah, like three years. She did it for three years. And then she just, you know, shit happens. And then she just kind of just said, fuck this shit. And it just kind of went on to other things. But um, during that time frame, I met a lot of people through Raven. She did, uh, she had a lot of accomplishments. She um, she did shit with uh, uh, Odd Future. She did shit with, um, she had a dope-ass record with Pac Div and Problem. She did shit with Mac Miller. She did shit with, uh, she introduced me to Maxo Cream. Who's a friend of mine now? Who's a dope artist from Houston, Texas? His first trip was actually shit to um, because of her. Really, I met her through him, and then I started working with him. So um, she was like the first. She she came out when female rappers were very unpopular. Like female rappers were not popping at all, zero percent. Nobody gave a fuck about a female. So she she all the all the male artists wanted to fuck with her. Like she like she was like like kind of like an anomaly. Like she was like dope and she would kill everything and she had a good personality. She was a superstar for sure. But it was just it was before his time. That was always a story of my life though, up until this point. I was always ahead of my time. So it's like when you're trying to push something that's kind of too futuristic and then it doesn't add up. Now that the internet's so fast, me being me being predicting a, a current or a wave it helps out, but this is before you got people to understand. This one Twitter just came out, like this is like pre shit. Like you had to really be up on shit in order to to do it. Like you you didn't have Instagram, you couldn't just go on there. I think niggas have Facebook. I didn't even have a Facebook. This is after my. This is like Facebook era. You know what I mean? So it's a different time, man. So you're managing this artist. Did you start managing other artists? <clears throat> not at that time. No, not at that time. And then I get up with, with TK, and we end up managing Raven together for like maybe two years together and we did a lot in that two years we had code 45 sponsorship she shot a commercial with snoop and Lil debbie huh and then uh we did a clothing collaborations we did a, a collaboration with mishka we said we did a shit called 40s and strippers we put a strip a stripper pole inside the clothing store had girls shaking ass and niggas was throwing ones and drinking photos from code 45 so we learned a lot of branding during that time raven was like a, a person that you could do a lot of branding with a lot of branding partnerships and shit so we're learning the culture of that, but to be honest, and then, uh, this is like when Fader and Noisy was popping and Two Dope Boys and all that. It was like you either was a cool guy on F- Noisy and Fader, or you're like the hipster kid. Well, I think, and they, or you was just like the rap nigga that was on Two Dope Boys and Nah Right. It was like it was like a weird divide at that time, and we was always shooting to get on Fader and Noisy. We ended up getting uh, debuting her project on um, Noisy, so it was cool. We did a lot of shit, 
But um, no, I did not managing no other artists. I just managed her at the time. How'd you link up with TK? Lit on my block, and then we knew I knew him through um, Strong Arm Steady, this crew called Strong Arm Steady, um, who one of the artists that was in my language arts crew, his brother is Crondon of Strong Arm Steady, so they were always around me in the culture, and then I knew this other dude named Chase Infinite who was part of that collective to a degree, and he was doing the fashion shit, and I used to rep a, a clothing line. And I would see him at the trade shows at Magic in Vegas and shit. So between them two dudes, I ended up learning their culture. And I mean, TK, um, maybe once or twice, maybe once, I think, at the Strong Arm Steady Studio with his old business partner who I knew. And then um, from there, shit, uh, he lived on my block. He lived three doors down from me. So I would, I would see him every I would see him. Nigga be outside, shit. I'd be outside, you outside. And, you know, chopping up, chopping up game. And then at what point did you guys decide to start working together? On Raven. It was Raven. I, he came into the crib. I showed this nigga, like, him and his ex-business partner, like, six videos. <coughs> excuse me. That we had worked on. And he was like, yo, this shit is dope. I kind of, like, blew him away with the content and shit. And then he knew who we were through language arts and all that. So I just ended up kind of working out. We just gave it a trial run on Raven. That era ends. So what's what comes after that? Um, that nigga starts doing the shit with the cannabis shit. And I'm saying, fuck rap. And then um, I'm doing the Tumblr. I'm doing the Tumblr. My up and on one Tumblr. I'm just doing it for the culture again. I'm back to being a fan. I don't want to fucking manage nobody. I don't want to do none of this shit. I'm hustling. Keep it real. But you know, I'm hustling and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm just a fan of the culture. I'm on my computer all day and I'm blogging shit on my Tumblr. My Tumblr. Um, that's when I found. That's when I got into SoundCloud rap. And that's when I found Playboy Cardi's fucking first song he ever uploaded. And I said, this nigga's amazing. Then I found Lil Yachty's first song he ever uploaded. And I said, this nigga's amazing. Then I'm finding Divine Councils and Made in Tokyo's and Swag Hollywood's and all this whole new wave of rap that's really... Cousin Stiz. Cousin Stiz. And all this new wave of rap that's very intriguing to me. And I'm like, this shit is dope. Then I had a little, this little dude that I was dealing with, this little punk ass nigga, this a photographer nigga, that I was dealing with at the time, who was a, um, would go to all the shows and he would take pictures. Of, you know, there might be a show that have 10 people there at the time. And this, this shit is like real underground, real early. Um, and he might take a picture, send me the picture. I have exclusive pictures from my Tumblr. I put up the picture. So I was getting one, two notes. And next thing you know, I'm getting 100,000 notes, 200,000 notes, 300,000 notes. Like crazy shit. My Tumblr's going stupid, stupid because I'm predicting the wave. You know, I'm doing everything. Now I'm controlling what I, you know what I'm saying? I'm controlling the culture through the through the Tumblr of what I'm into and my taste and my curation. So um then that's when it was up and on one i said fuck it i got a logo done did up and on one and shit and just start blogging shit man shit i did a year ends list and i had all them niggas i just named on uh, just told you on the list before a whole year before double excel even put them on their shit straight up and then um uh, that's about it then then uh my tumblr gets taken down after a year hot as fish grease because i didn't know nothing about no fucking shit so i put up the stupid ass song with not even a stupid ass song it's a great song <laughs> but i put up a song with kendrick and kanye west the whatever that song the la whatever the fuck the song is off kanye album and i put it up and then i put it on i tried to embed it through soundcloud and the shit was tripping so i ripped it and i uploaded it through tumblr directly man them niggas hit me with a deceased man and i tried to get it back and i couldn't get it back so all that work all the millions of shits I got, it's just like it never happened. Now I'm really like, fuck this shit for real. I don't care nothing about it. And then um, that's when uh, I got with my boy Hyphen. He's a DJ. I bought him some turntables. He wanted to be a DJ. I bought him some turntables. 
And he's like, hey, man, why don't you just put all them songs that you ripped off SoundCloud in your iTunes playlist? Why don't we just make a mixtape? And I'll just just blend the shit together. I'm like, fuck it. Let's do it. So, you know, I came up with a title called Young Niggas Rule the World. And then I put out my first blend tape through my SoundCloud and I put it up and shit. The first one did good. I had a, I did a hosting for it. TK got this uh, damn commercial shot for the shit and made it like a moment. It was a moment in history. No, actually, the first one we didn't get a commercial shot for. It. Let me rewind. The first one I put Kanye's uh, daughter North on the, on the cover and put Young Niggas Rule the World. It was funny as fuck. And then uh, put that one out. Then the volume two, we were working with the people at Noisy. Shout out to uh, Justin and Tyler. And they were fans of the first one. And they said they were sponsored and put it on their B2 and radio, the second one. That's when we shot the commercial dope ass commercial i got exclusives from max o'cream because that was my boy and i predicted the gang of shit and i put it out oh and then the niggas who did the there's a very famous chase in la a high-speed chase where these dudes were in a blue young niggas was in a blue mustang they was doing donuts and shit i put them niggas on the cover of the tape and i and i put it out and that shit blew the fuck up and then from there like hey you want to do that again they're like that's you know the noisy niggas they're like you gonna do it again i'm like hell yeah and then that's when i reached out to draco the ruler I reached out to Draco through Instagram. He was in jail at the time. I'm a big fan. I was a big fan of what he was doing on the streets on Snapchat, which was amazing. Um, and uh, uh, reached out to that nigga. And he does a jailhouse freestyle for me over the phone. He does like three of them. He hosts it and gives me an exclusive record. And at the same time, I found this dude from Watts named O3 Greedo. And I see his, um, he has a, a video called Mafia Business out and is doing well in the hood. And then I end up getting with him through his people. And he gives me a song called Never Bend, which is like his biggest record to this day. And he gives it to me and I put it on the same tape. And that, that was the seeding to what we're doing now, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so now you're doing this. Where does uh, Shoreline? Shoreline comes in around that part of that wave where... Um, actually a little further because I'm working with Greedo and I'm working and then he found uh, TK was like yo we, he wanted to focus on production so um, he ended up getting with Ron Ron so we ended up getting with Ron Ron I got Greedo we ended up getting with Ron Ron I haven't met Draco yet I'm fucking with the Stink Team through TK he ended up reaching out to Ralphie and them niggas so we're fucking with the Stink Team we're fucking with Ron Ron we're fucking with Greedo and then one day we're at the studio and that nigga TK says, which, you know, he had a big single with Frosty the Snowman. He's free Frosty the Snowman, too. He created a lot of wave for a lot of niggas out here. And uh, uh, he says, what else you got? So we go, we go to YouTube. We search Ron Ron's name. And Shoreline Mafia comes up. And then it had like a million or two. I don't know. I don't, it had some kind of shit. And TK's like, who the fuck is the Shoreline Mafia? He's like, Ron Ron's like, oh, they stole my beat. off. They ripped it off of SoundCloud. Man, these things got a million plays, two million plays. And then shit. Uh, from there, TK reached out to him, and then he and he reached out to him. I guess they hung up the phone on the nigga the first time. I wasn't there when they called him. He's like, man, these niggas is crazy. And then we met up with them niggas at Bossa Nova. <laughs> Probably the second time or third time we talked to them. We met up with Bossa Nova. They was all sitting there just looking at us. I remember they just looking at us, like, looking at us. Niggas didn't say nothing. They just looking at us. And TK was pretty much running, doing what he do. And I was looking at them niggas. They was looking at us. And shit. We went to their crib. I was like, oh, there's some real shit going on. You know, some real niggas, man. And uh, 
uh from there shit we just started um they're like fuck it we're gonna do it and we started managing them and then they did their uh first show no i think we did the uh we just we we, we were helping out this dude named voice too hard who was a director who did all the stink team shit and they had needed a proper like they wanted to do a, like a real video now this is the time i think the fox news had reached out at the same time fox news well we started fucking with a fox news had reached out to do the special on them about the lean and all, all that shit and we end up finding out that they're actually trying to do some shit some police type shit so <laughs> the niggas said fuck fox and then they ended up doing the uh the fox 11 news special came out and shit and then we did the video and i'm like hey we need to put that fox shit in the video we put in the video and i think that was it from there that was it once the fox 11 shit came out and then we did the video with that that's the energy that that really helped propel them too with our with our management skills and that right there that that definitely helped out a lot. Yeah, whose idea was it to put that in there? Um, I don't remember, man. I, I know I said it. I, I know I definitely said it for the album. You know what I'm saying? I, I told, matter of fact, I told Voice. I said, Voice, you need to rip this and put this in the beginning of the video. Voice being the director. And he put it in the front. He put it in the beginning of the video. And that's how that video started. And then I'm like, yo, we about to use this Fox 11 shit for the narrative for the tape. I told Ron Ron to rip it. He ripped it, and we and he ended up, Ron Ron ended up chopping up different parts of it, and that ended up being the narrative for the tape, which is very important. That that shit is so important. And then um, they recorded the shit. I think in like, I think they recorded the album in like three or four sessions. And this is the time when Ron Ron Studio, like you gotta like if you guys are gonna visualize this in your head, like it's Greedo, it's Greedo and all his niggas over there, and it's Shoreline. It's a lot of niggas in a small space, and it's a some speakers there they're peaking they're all fucked up it's like a janky spot it's like it's it's like a trap it feels like a trap house or some shit and niggas just making all this shit that didn't know there's gonna end up being history you know greedo's in there doing 20 songs a night and he's like man who are these niggas rapping who's that dude oh jeezy what the fuck is tripping them out like who is this motherfucker you know and we all just kind of ended up like embracing each other you know what i'm saying and, and making music with everybody. And the Sting Team's in there. They're all free. Freedom niggas. They're all free. So it's just like the Sting Team is Shoreline. That's how you got Spaceship. Because they was all there. And then you got Greedo there. And it's, it's a movie. <coughs> and then um, the, we record the album in four sessions. Ron Ron chops it up. I sequence the shit. I'm really good at sequencing. That's one of my things I'm really good at. I think listening to someone's music, I'm good at creating a narrative. So I sequence it. I, I, give, I give it to OGZ. He he just switches like one song around and shit, that shit comes out. And at the time, like, were you there for those sessions? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was there. And what was the vibe? A bunch of fucking gremlins, street niggas, a lot of drugs and a lot of fucking just, we just hear rapping. It's, it's so many mother, it's like, it might be like, it might be 100 to 200 people. Every, it felt like hundreds of motherfuckers. It might have been 80 to 90 people. Just imagine a gang of, a gang of, it's like the underworld, man. It's like the, it's like the, if it, if it was like a gang of villains, like if you had every villain in Marvel you know, history and they're all at a secret location where they was chopping up shit and, and talking shit and doing whatever, that's what it was like. It was like the villains in the, in the underworld of Los Angeles all in one spot and we just crave music. But everybody's original and ain't nobody on no lowriders and no chucks or none of that. Niggas is copping out of Benzes, Phantoms, is all kind of shit. This is and it's it's creating the new culture of, of what we know as Los Angeles. What it really is at at that particular time. No disrespect to the other shit. And what do you think is so unique that like all of this happens? I don't know. I think it's just the stars lining up, man. I, I it's the shit that you can't even describe. You don't even know how it happens. It just happens. And it's like, damn, it's happening. And while it's happening, you're, like, you're still like, oh, it's happening. But then when it's happening, it's like, wait, this is really happening. Like, nobody knew. 
If niggas said they knew, they'd be, I don't think nobody knew. Maybe niggas didn't know. I didn't know. I knew the shit was tight. I don't know what it was going to end up being, though. I knew it was tight, though. That's a fact. And so the project comes out, like, what, what was the reception like? Blow the fuck up. Niggas is going fucking crazy. Do our first show at the observatory, sold out. And them niggas is, uh, OGZ had a custom, uh, uh, G unit shirt, but it had his homie on there for like you know the free AO shirts back in the day. He had free his homie show dog, so it's a free show dog. Rob was there, Kato, Phoenix, all the homies is there. There's a hundred niggas on the stage when it only holds fifteen. And fucking, uh, uh, I never forget. Rock came out and threw up on everybody. And then stage dived, and a nigga died on the side of the stage and was brought back to life by one of the homies. And pulled his tongue out and slapped him and socked him in his chest and brought him back. Man, there was all kind of shit going on. That was the wildest. It was like a punk rock rap show. That's what it was. It was amazing. I was like, oh, yeah, we got something. Straight up. And I don't know. I think after that, we ended up doing the, if I, we ended up doing the Roxy after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we ended up doing the Roxy in Hollywood. which no, is before the Roxy was um, Rolling Loud. For real? Mm-hmm. We went from our first show at the okay. to going to Rolling Loud? Yep. God damn. The the young Rolling Loud, though. Yeah, in San Bernardino. No money. In San Bernardino. We went out there and 5,000 people rushed the stage. Rushed the stage. Okay, so we went to Rolling Loud, and that's how I knew, really knew it was real. Like five to 7,000 people rushed the stage. And at the same time, we had our book, some booking agents, booking agencies that was looking to fuck with us there. So we impressed them, to say the least. And we ended up doing that. It was like, that was like a real coming out moment for us. And then... uh Shit, man, we put them on the road and sold out every goddamn fucking date. I mean, shit, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, man, this is that when the stars align type of shit. I don't, I don't know, man. I. You said that was the turning point. Like, do you think they understood that? Um, they understood it was going on. They understood it was popping, and then shit. That's when we start having them. Um, a lot of labels starting to be interested in them. So, I feel like. I feel like to everybody It's going on and it's happening But I don't know if everybody knew to what extent What was going on You know what I'm saying Like I don't think we knew how big it was going to be at that point I'm almost positive I can say I'm almost positive niggas didn't know Until we started walking into them labels And then shit And what was their reaction like Finally like getting that recognition Man listen Don't think about the Shoreline Mafia They the coolest niggas in the world So they're like "Eh, whatever You know what I'm saying they're like, we're, we're here, we're happy, we're appreciative, but, <coughs> like, nigga, niggas is cool, like, they're just the coolest niggas, like, nothing really phases them, so, you know, I think until the money got wired to their account, everything was like, whatever, you know, when niggas get that money, get that check, then, you know, it's different, and you start selling out shows, and getting paid for your shows, and shit, going from, nigga, a free show, or $500 show, to, I don't even want to tell you how much niggas making now. So once you do when that kind of shit happens, I think and that, like you got niggas gotta understand this happening it's happening like eight months, bro. Seven months, six months. Some crazy fast. It's not like it's long. They are rapping a long time before we got to them too. I I don't wanna they're not no overnight group. They've been rapping for years. If you go back, if you really do your research, you'll find songs from the niggas from three years ago. Like straight up. They're not three, four years ago. They're not no new booties on, on rapping. The niggas been rapping. The niggas been putting out music for show. So, you know, I didn't know who they were until Ron Ron because that's I was dealing with Ron Ron at the time. Once I got with them, I went and did my research. I'm like, wait, these niggas really been rapping. So, you know. And what's the day-to-day like now that you're, you got this group? 
um, day to day is just kind of just um, guiding. TK does the business shit. I focus on music. That's what I'm good at. I'm not good at timing. I'm not good at answering text messages. I won't answer texts. I don't answer emails. I hate emails. Call me. Nobody calls nobody no more. So I miss out a lot of business <laughs> on the business side of shit. But um, TK telling me where to pull up and I pull up. But me, it's just all about music. I help, I, you know, curation. What are we going to talk about? What are we doing? Like, what what, what songs we got going on? Um, let's get a verse from over here. Let's let's brand it this way. Like, with me, OGZ talk about clothes and fashion and merch. And, you know, it's more so about I do the creative shit. So my day-to-day is all creativity. Making sure that we getting shit done on the creative side of things. You know, TK's described them as the Wu-Tang, like a, a new version of Wu-Tang. If you had to name which... Which one they were? Who, who would they be? Like, uh, OGZ's like a RZA. Rob's like a Ghostface. Phoenix is like a Raekwon. And Kato's old dirty bastard. Period. Now that they've reached this level of success, how do you prepare them for the next level? Camaraderie. Making sure that you guys remember how the fuck you got here. That's the most important thing. And once you remember how you got here... You got to remember what you just try to keep the foundation as tight as possible. And how do you move forward from that? You know what I mean? You know, that's what it's really about. And we got to remember, like, like groups, man, it's tough, man. It's tough with a group, bro. Think about the history of rap. Groups, the groups come and go. But they, but you always remember a group for some reason. Like, NWA, I was just told, had one fucking album. Like, the core unit of it, like... I mean, Wu Tang had multiple albums, but to me, they don't, to me as a fan of rap, they had two albums, Forever and the first, and the Thirty Six Chambers. And if you want to say it like that, we've already got our Thirty Six Chambers with Shoreline. Do that shit. That's the rough, uncut, before the bread shit. You know. Then we got to do our Forever, doing our Forever right now. You know, you know what I'm saying. And then shit. Then whatever happens after that happens. So with them blowing up, like, how do you insulate them from? The pitfalls of fame. Mm, they're pretty grounded young dudes, man. I ain't gonna hold you. You know, they come from nothing and they're pretty grounded. Like I don't, I don't, I don't see that that shit with them. They don't, they don't. They're different, man. They we from the West Coast, man. We look at the Hollywood sign every day. You know what I mean? I think when you're from here, it's different, bro. I think when I think people from other areas that come here. Or get involved in this lifestyle, I think that it fucks them up. But what thing about us is, like, the, two of the two of the members grew up in East Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Other members grew up around L.A. You could be in the ghetto and you can look at the Hollywood sign, and it's 20 minutes away, 25 minutes away, 20 minutes away, 15 minutes in traffic without traffic. You could be in Hollywood and look at the Hollywood sign and be two minutes from it. You know what I'm saying? Point is, it's always right there. It's right there. You can walk down to L.A. You can go to Rodeo Drive. In the ghetto, you can be there in 15, 20 minutes. You can see every celebrity you want to see. Forever. Since day, since the beginning of when them niggas was born. So I feel like because of that, we don't get tranked out or hypnotized by the the you know the pitfalls of the egos of the superstar shit. Now, every rapper has an ego. Yeah, that's true. Every nigga got an ego. But at the end of the day... The shit that happens with a lot of stars that they fall into, the traps, I feel like we're since we're from here and we've seen everything growing up, we don't fall for them same things. It doesn't really fuck our head up. I've been around artists that are from out of town that come to L.A. and, and literally lose their mind. 
Right, we that don't happen to us. You know what I'm saying? So. And what would you say is like your hardest job now? Being fucking busy with these stupid ass emails, man. Fuck emails, man. That's what I'm gonna say on this podcast. Fuck emails, man. I hate fucking emails. I get too many emails every day. I don't answer none of them. They overwhelm me. And then fuck group text messages too. TK, goddamn it, this nigga loves a group text. <laughs> but yeah, man, this is you know finding time for yourself. Finding time for yourself is hard, but you got to find time for yourself and for your loved ones. You know, <coughs> it's real important. Um, it's real important, and you know, trying to maintain or build some kind of foundation for a relationship is hard. You know, because you're busy all the time. You know, I, I manage multiple artists and we have our own imprint now so it's like shoreline is popping and that's already a job within itself and i got one take jack got az chike got the goddamn hip mob we got band gang lonnie bands i'll help out draco here and there how about greedo here and there it's a lot of shit man it's a lot of shit and then talk about forming the company um tk um we started our baron group once we um had got ron ron helped out greedo with um a&ring and um digital marketing and marketing and then got shoreline once we had got them we started the r baron company r baron group and then from there it just grew and you know my business partner man he's a tk he's a he's he has a lot of connections he's a very people person i'm kind of like standoffish i'm kind of quiet for the most part so but you know I'll, I'll i'll show him some shit like hey man i think this is dope and then he'll he'll know somebody that knows a nigga where we can go talk to the people so you know the relationship that we have you know is good because he likes the business he loves the business part and i love the music so it kind of works well it's a balance and then we started the r baron group which is a, um you know a management company where i think we got the best the dopest niggas from uh from the coast we definitely shifted culture between greedo we definitely shifted the culture with Greedo, Shoreline, Ron Ron, and, and uh, helped out with the Draco Cold Devil. We just, we shifted the culture in L.A. soundscape with that and the perception of who we are and what we are. So you're a student of history. What mistakes are you seeing that other people who were in your position before have made that you're not trying to make yourself? Mm. I say... Um, a, lot of, a lot of people before me, I think, were quick to say, fuck it. And I fuck like I fuck this person, fuck that, and fuck this. I think with us, I think us, TK being a people person and him understanding who it is, and me being kind of a level-headed person, I, we're, we're not hot-headed niggas. And I think a lot of hot-headed shit was going on back in the day, where I fucked a lot of people up in the long run. I kind of looked how Jay Z moved, you know what I mean? And, and I'm a fan. I'm, me personally, I'm a fan of him, and seeing how he was able to move and navigate and, and stay relevant all the way up until this point. I kind of just follow his steps, you know, and certain things, you know what I mean? Certain things he did I didn't necessarily agree with, but for the most part, he's here as himself to a testament of time, you know what I mean? And, you know, I just know that, man, you got to just be careful about how you talk to these people, man, because think about the music industry that I found out, man, these people are here forever, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This niggas, the era that I grew up in, I'm working with them and have a partnership with them with Atlantic right now, literally. Julie, Craig. Kaiser, they all were from the era of that music that I fell in love with. And now, the, now we have a partnership together with, through our company. So, you know, imagine if I was back in the day and I fucking pissed one of them off or disrespected one of them. I wouldn't be, might not have been in this position I'm in now. So just being cordial and making sure you're respectable to everybody, man. 
I'm already a respectable person. I'm cool. You know, you fuck me. I'm not going to fuck with you, but I'm never going to never going to publicly shame you. I'm never going to do nothing like that. It's not in me to do that. So now that you have this backing through Atlantic, do you feel pressure now to produce? Mm-mm. No, I don't feel no pressure. Honestly, it's kind of weird. I don't feel pressure at all. Me, I mean, I personally don't. I don't know what bro feel, but I feel like we were always doing things right. Now it's time to just continue to do them right. You know, we, we didn't do nothing fucked up. Everybody got paid. We got deals for everybody. Everybody, we've done our touring correctly, our merch. I feel like we've proven ourselves. And I feel like when one take J and AZ Chike, you know, to continue the wave, you know, the first people were like the sacrificial lambs for what's going on now. Like, unfortunately, Greedo had to sacrifice his life for this shit. And he's doing 20 years behind a prison cell in Texas. You know what I mean? And chase of this shit. And Draco's currently incarcerated with no release date, no bail. 24-hour lockdown facing a death death penalty, homie. These people sacrificed their lives for this shit. They what they did. Charlotte made it through, you know. So now that we now that we went through all that, the second wave, man. Let's just have fun and celebrate, man. So one take, Jay, man. We having fun. He talks about fucking bitches every song. It's amazing. I was like, damn, bro, I never knew you can have a thousand songs about fucking girls, man. It's amazing. You like the new? He's he's like a battle rapper that fucks girls every song. It's incredible. It's amazing. And then you got AZ Chike. He's just the same, but he's just like he like he's a rapper and he's always angry when he raps. But he's the nicest guy ever. So <laughs> it's just about continuing the wave, man, and and shit, just pushing that shit out, man. We got big records coming out. Hit Mob producing all the shit, you know. Shout out to Lo the Great. He's a, he got the next wave of artists coming out, and um, you know, Ryan Wines got a lot of shit. Shout out to Jug. He doing AZ Chike shit. And shout out to Ace the Face. He got a plaque coming on the way with Shoreline Mafia. Gold record in the making. It's already done, man. It's, it's popping. Where do you see yourself in Somewhere on a beach with some bad bitches rubbing my stomach. Yeah, man. Right. Fucking eating good food and, and being rich, man. Fuck. And looking back at all the shit I did and being proud of it and still finding shit. I don't know how long I want to do this shit for. I never... I don't really... I used to hustle, man. I used to have to think day to day, bro. I, I got to learn how to start thinking ahead, 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 ahead. I think ahead, but I don't, I don't think 10 years ahead because I come from such a day to day, you know, thing. Even when I grew up, grew, grew up poor, everything was day to day. Food was day to day. Everything just took it day to day. You know what I'm saying? So I got to start learning how to think long longevity. But as of right now, I know I'm really, I'm really excited to introduce these new albums and really excited to prove my ear. Cause I used to tell a lot of the older homie stuff and I feel like nobody would like put me on all the way and they were in positions to do so. So now I'm showing them like, Hey bro, I told you I was right. You know? So yeah. This episode of the making of shoreline mafia is hosted and produced by me, Jonathan Mena. executive produced by TK Kimbrough music by Sayer. Thank you to road microphones for the equipment. We appreciate the support. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate. And let us know in the comments section what you thought about the episode. This has been a Made by Mena and R. Baron production. <laughs>